welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, Google, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, and Peter. Episode 68, recorded on April 15th, 2020. The Cloud Pod is as free as GitHub for Teams. Good evening, Peter. How's it going? Hey, it's going well. Still How's in lockdown. Yeah, but still in lockdown. Surviving. You haven't killed anybody in your house. You, everyone, all the marital bliss is still continuing. All of we're fun. hanging in there. Yeah, good. yeah, it's good. good. How about you? You know, it's uh, going well as well. The, you know, the kids have kind of gotten into distance learning, and they're doing pretty well at that. And the wife is uh, keeping herself busy, but uh, gets a little stir crazy at times. So she's uh, a pretty big extrovert and likes to you know be social and see all her friends, and it's a little bit lonely. Uh, so I'm feeling in the best I can. So that's what there it is. you go. Uh, and Jonathan is uh, unfortunately not joining us tonight. He is taking a sabbatical today uh, as he is uh, having a lovely quarantine as well. So we have a couple of fantastic guests. Of course, Ryan, our normal host, is here. Ryan, hello. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Uh, and then, of course, we uh, we went way, way, way west to Australia to get <laughs> Ian McKay back on the show. So hello, Ian. Hey, everyone. Glad to have him on board. And uh, I, you know, we as Americans and being naive and Americans that we are, uh, we have been dealing with quarantine for a while, but you guys have been dealing with it actually a little bit before us, I think. And uh, things are hopefully doing well down there as well, but maybe you can mention a little bit how things are either the same or different compared to what you've heard about Americans' quarantine versus Australia's. Well, the American numbers are terrible from what we can see. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's the reason why you should leave, leave scientists uh, who tell you to quarantine early and not, not fight that because, you know, for political reasons. That's, uh, that's what that tells you. Yeah, we had some bad hoarding, but I think most people have been pretty sane and self-isolating, staying at home when they can. Um, there's a few crazies out there, though. Did you, uh, did you have a run on toilet paper the same way we did here in the States, or is that, a, is that an American thing? I think we had it worse than you guys. Oh, uh, really? we, we were the first ones to do it. <laughs> we had fights and police called and knives in stores and all sorts of problems. It's amazing what uh, what humanity does in these type of uh, crises and you know how people react and what they hoard and, and all that. But it, it's been good. You know, I think at least in my neck of the woods here in the East Bay of San Francisco, um, things have kind of returned at least back to normal at the store. So like you go to the grocery store, it's maybe like ninety. 95% restock, but unless you want toilet paper or paper towels, and then, you know, there's no hope for you unless you want to go wait in a Costco line for three hours. <laughs> so <laughs> that's your only hope for that kind of stuff. But, uh, but normal, like, uh, produce and food and all kind of stuff is, is all stocked and available where it was cleared out, you know, completely shelves empty three or four weeks ago. So it's a bit different, uh, which is good, but also, you know, we're in this for a long haul. Yeah, we got another month, I bet. I mean, they're going to say America's back open for business on May 1st, but that doesn't actually mean we're back open for business, I think, is how it's going to work. It's going to be a, a new reality of what normal is uh, for the next you know year or so, probably. But yeah, yeah. We, will, we will see what that new reality looks like here as uh, the government figures that out, because they don't even know yet. Yeah, I was reading an article, which might have been, you know, not, it wasn't doomsday, but it might have been the pessimistic numbers where they were talking about not shelter in place, but social certain social distancing precautions would last into 2022 in order to fully like stretch out and protect the, the more vulnerable populace. I mean, I guess that's assuming that you don't have any type of vaccine until 2022 in that scenario. I, I would I would assume so. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen. Uh, it might happen, though. I mean, I, I keep thinking it's going to get better than it doesn't. So <laughs> I'm just going to keep my optimistic thoughts to myself and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. So. 
Well, let's, uh, let's get to new news uh, for this week. So first of all, GitHub, uh, which we talked about previously on the show, has announced that all of its core features are now available for free to all users, including those that are currently on free accounts. Uh, this includes free unlimited repositories with unlimited collaborators for all, including teams that use the service for commercial projects as well as 2,000 minutes per month of free access to GitHub Actions, uh, which is the company's automated CI CD platform they announced last year. Uh, if you are on the team version today, you also get uh, some additional enhancements. Uh, a, you get a price cut from $8 a user per month to $4 a user per month, and that now allows you to enable reviewers, increase your GitHub Actions to 3,000 minutes per month, and you also get a 2 gigs of GitHub package storage uh, for that price. And then the Enterprise Edition uh, allows you to get SAML, 50,000 minutes of action minutes per month, and 50 gigs of GitHub package storage, and advanced auditing for only $21 per month. And then there's uh, a couple other things around GitHub One, which is a 24-7 support and those things, as well as uh, just overall uh, enterprise features like code checking and vulnerability scanning. So that's pretty great if you're using GitHub. Uh, it really makes all those people who ran to GitLab look a little silly, <laughs> but they were all concerned <laughs> yeah. about Microsoft buying GitHub, and I think they made the right call at the time based on what they knew. Yeah, our bill just got cut in half, it looks like, pretty much. Yeah, likewise, I think this this really uh, cuts that bill in half, at least. And, um, you know, with the, with the new free t- plan, I'm considering whether our team actually needs the team version because it seems to have everything we need. Yeah, I don't exactly know what you get with the reviewers. Um, and that's really the one feature that probably will keep you in Teams, is my guess. Uh, and if you're using GitHub Actions, which is a pretty great product compared to Jenkins and things. But those are really the two two things that really force into that Teams package. But uh, yeah, if you don't need those, you just need Code Repository. The, the free version's fantastic. Yep. Uh, this is interesting, too, because uh, this is a, a change in their business model. And so, you know, previously, you know, they were a pay for privacy model and now they're moving to more of a pay for features model. And their CEO uh, has a quote here. We're switching GitHub from a pay for privacy model to pay for features. What's typically called freemium. You may have heard of it. The way I think about it is that we want every developer and team on Earth to be able to use GitHub for their development, whether it's private or public development. Uh, so that sounds like the new direction that Microsoft is taking GitHub, which is really great. Yeah, they keep doing things right. It's scary. What's going on? The Sacha era of Microsoft continues to yeah. be nice in many ways and has some weak spots in others but it's a whole different conversation <laughs> moving on to our friends at at aws uh, they are accelerating your sap deployment with a new aws launch wizard this is similar to the sql launch wizard they la- launched uh, last year this launch wizard is a new service that's speedy easy flexible and secure and cost effective for customers it's basically a set of cloud formation templates and architecture recommendations combined with systems manager scripts uh, to easily e- automate your deployment uh, of SAP workloads, including SAP HANA and SAP uh, other other SAP. I don't know anything about SAP, but there's lots of parts to it. <laughs> so it's very lots complicated. And CloudFormation and System Manager help you manage all of that for <clears> either your on-premise workload moving to AWS or for net new SAP deployments on AWS. Boy, that's a tough one to make exciting. <laughs> I mean, if you're really into SAP, you're super excited. Yeah, I mean, most of the people, we've, we've helped a lot of people put SAP test dev um, clusters uh servers up on aws and their devs loved it loved their performance but just loved being able to spin up instances and uh and increase their accelerate their testing cycles um i don't know how many of them of those caliber customers are going to be using like launch wizards to get that up and running but maybe maybe it's sophisticated enough to make it happen yeah, yeah i feel like if you're going to pay for the, the large price of a SAP instance, probably one of those new fancy X1s with the four terabytes worth of RAM. Uh, I think you're going to be really 
invested into exactly how your infrastructure is being set up um, or else you have a bit of a bill shock. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, make sure you look at the cost estimator in CloudFormation before you hit apply <laughs> to make sure that's going to cost you not a small uh, country. Uh, well, Beanstalk, uh, you know, well, actually take a step back. Uh, if you think about working from home, one of the big lessons learned for a lot of enterprises is the fact that productivity is through the roof. Uh, and apparently that includes the Beanstalk team. Uh, Beanstalk has apparently been busy eating their beans and has a bunch of new features out this week, uh, including the new Elastic Beanstalk console, uh, which is a, makes it easier to simplify the management of apps and environments. Uh, the new Beanstalk now also now supports Amazon Linux 2-based Docker, Coretto, and Python platforms. And a new API allows you to list platform branches, including uh, supported, beta, deprecated, retired states, as well as uh, different versions for production, dev, etc. Uh, this is really a fantastic uh, set of features if you're using Beanstalk, and I'm I'm sure a lot of companies who use this product will be very, very happy uh, with the new UI changes and the changes to the API. So very nice. I'm curious how many people are using Beanstalk when they're when they've already Dockerized their apps. We have, Beanstalk was really popular for us about a few years back, but um, it's become I just haven't heard a lot of demand for it now that everyone wants to go EKS or Fargate once they've got their apps containerized. I mean, it's still the default uh, deployment model for Visual Studio when you deploy, add the Amazon plugin. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's interesting. Uh, two, two years ago now at reInvent, uh, I had a chance to meet the GM of Beanstalk at the time. And uh, I kind of I asked him, like, well, how, how big is Beanstalk as a service? And is it popular? Is it, you know, less popular? And it's actually one of the busiest and most successful products they have. Uh, for application deployments at the time, two years ago. Now, I may have changed with EKS and other things, but um, a lot of companies are very, very happy with their Beanstalk deployments. And it makes yeah. sense, especially for smaller companies who are, or devs doing their own thing. Like you said, you know, driving their infrastructure right out of their IDE. Um, I guess that's not our target customer base, though. Maybe that's why we don't see it too much. I feel like as a team, they're going very well. I think they're making a lot of changes in the right direction. They're one of the first teams to embrace the uh, open GitHub uh, roadmaps um, so everyone can see what's coming up. Um, and they're really embracing these new changes um, with Amazon Linux 2, et cetera. Well, I'm, I'm kind of happy to see Coretto there too. That's a super easy way to get onto you know, a more open source version of Java that actually performs better. So I think that's fantastic as well. All tied right into Beanstalk with just deployment. Uh, I do know that is the bane of my DevOps uh, pro certification is I have to learn Beanstalk every time I have to renew it. Um, <laughs> so, so I do need to now check uh, the tests and see when these uh, changes will be impacted in the tests that I need to take in November. So that said, though, every time I learn about Beanstalk and there, you know, the feature set is just more and more appealing for certain workloads. Like I'm always constantly surprised just because I've the first time years ago I tried Beanstalk, it was so constrictive and so you know it felt very uncomfortable. Uh, for me to deploy into and uh, now I'm like I start to see like this is kind of cool I could I can start to visualize myself using the service more and more I still haven't but uh, like I, more and more I, I get impressed with the product that's how I feel about Opsworks too and then I try to use it for something real and I realize how quickly I don't like Opsworks every time but the docs Oh, yeah, you really got to love Chef and you really got to love the way they, they construct the layers for the Chef deployment it's uh there's a lot to, uh, to unpack in that scenario. But uh, yeah, I, I noticed that when I did my last DevOps Pro Cert, you know, it had been a while since I looked at Beanstalk and 
it was interesting to see, you know, the command line tool for EB deploy, EB uh, push, and all that kind of stuff to really make Beanstalk just part of your workflow, which is kind of interesting because I, I kind of see Amplify is kind of starting to kind of approach that area as well because there's the Amplify CLI does some of the similar functions as the EB CLI does. Um, so I, I wonder how much, you know, Beanstalk functionality is going to move more and more towards Amplify versus being kind of a standalone thing as it is now, but only time will tell in that area. Well, the uh, Amazon RDS proxy, which was announced at reInvent for MySQL, is uh, now available for Postgres uh, in preview. This is both for the Aurora Postgres and the RDS version of Postgres. Uh, of course, RDS proxies are fantastic if you're using something like Lambda to connect directly to a database. Uh, one of the challenges you might run into is uh, connection pooling problems and connection pool limits, especially with Lambdas that are very short-lived and firing in rapid succession. Uh, you can very quickly overload your connection pools on a, prox on a, a SQL server. Uh, and so this proxy allows you basically to connect, you know, pull those connections, and if a data, a data server can't handle it, it'll basically hold it in the queue and then push it to a node or during a failover event, it'll make it much simpler uh, to handle that severing of that connection to the new database uh, and reduce your failover times. Uh, the RDS proxy costs uh, a penny and a half per RDS proxy CPU hour, so uh, roughly right around uh, two, uh, three pennies, basically, to run a two-CPU RDS proxy in front of your RDS box. So super helpful. Yeah, it's a fantastic service. It's one of the things that excited me most about uh, the reInvent announcements last year. I think th putting this in front of Lambda microservices with a bunch of different connections really reduces the uh, expected load on your database server and makes it a lot more normalized. And the, uh, the, the failover uh, capabilities are really good as well. Uh, but it's only in five regions at the moment. Uh, there's Postgres compatibility preview, um, and that doesn't include Sydney, so that makes me sad. <laughs> do you have the uh, proxy for MySQL in Sydney, or do, or just the, uh, or you have either one? Uh, I don't think I have either one. <laughs> mm, that's a bummer. Hopefully, you'll you'll get it soon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, hopefully they'll get that to you guys soon. I think that's a great feature. I, I can see, you know, even if you start getting into things like Aurora serverless, like this capability is really necessary to kind of hold those connections before the Aurora serverless kind of brings it back up, uh, especially if it's been off for a little while or, or isn't very active on the database side. So hopefully you'll see it soon. And, uh, you know, otherwise uh, you'll have to continue to use some other region. Uh, AWS Fargate is launching the new platform version 1.4. Uh, this is a preview version uh, that you can now elect into if you're creating a new Fargate cluster or a new Fargate uh, container set. Uh, there are several new features in the 1.4 platform, including the EFS endpoint support we talked about last week. Uh, consolidated 20 gigs of ephemeral storage, so previously you had a 10 gig volume for the container image plus a 4 gig mount volume. Uh, they've now combined both of those together into 20 gigs, uh, which is helpful for workloads processing large data sets. Uh, and this will support ECS and EKS Fargate. The new network performance metrics uh, for CloudWatch Container Insights, uh, network stats for ECS task metadata endpoint version 4.0 are available, and the Fargate task now supports CAPSIS Ptrace Linux capabilities, uh, which is a tool for visibility into your containers, uh, and you can leverage that with something like Sysdig if you want. Yeah, I think an interesting caveat about this is that this is not the default yet. Uh, this is something you have to opt into when you create your, uh, your cluster. And it's something that's not available in the console. You have to do this via CLI to get this version. So that's quite interesting. Um, but what they do note is that um, it'll only be about a month until that is the default. Um, so you have a month to test this if you feel you might have breaking issues, although they indicate that it shouldn't 
shouldn't really change. It's only if you have some specific networking requirements. Um, I haven't had a chance to play with it. I am I'm quite excited uh, about any of these uh, Fargate uh, launches. I, I know that a lot of services I work with, one of the concerns they have is that network performance. And so I, this is an exciting change to, to start getting that out there. And, and um, it is interesting. I did not know that it, you, you had to sort of like go behind the scenes to opt in because um, normally these announcements are a little bit more seamless and a little bit easier to use. But I guess uh, I guess they're being a little cautious about this one. And so it's interesting. But pretty fantastic. Anytime you get metrics on the network level, um, especially for containers, which can be kind of complicated on a on a system uh, hosted system like uh, Fargate, is pretty cool, impressive. All right, moving on to uh, Google. Uh, you know, I want to make a quick comment here about Google and Azure. Uh, you know, Amazon, I feel like has just put on the gas on all these features since they're working from home and are just driving these new features. Google and Azure, on the other hand, uh, have been kind of quiet. <laughs> like they're very minor releases, and they're kind of not very interesting. And I kind of thought that with the with the Google, um, you know, next conference that should have been coming up very soon, that they would have had. Some of those announcements, at least going out as blog posts and those things, but uh, they've been kind of quiet. So I don't know what Google's got up their sleeve or if they're just waiting for a time when the news cycle isn't filled with COVID to announce something for from Google Next. But uh, because that was canceled, I, I don't really know when we're going to see anything coming out of that. So we'll see. But uh, they did announce the SRS book. Uh, the SRS book is the Building Secure and Reliable Systems, uh, Best Practices for Designing, Implementing, and Maintaining Systems Refer to as an SRS book. This complements the SRE book, which they're known for. Uh, engineers across Google's security and SRE organizations share those best practices to help you design scalable and reliable systems that are fundamentally secure. And of course, uh, they talk about reliability mattering for most businesses throughout all kinds of ups and downs, as well as security is essential. And this book helps you make sure you meet all of those requirements. Uh, there are several areas uh, in the book that security and reliability are examined through multiple perspectives, including design strategies, uh, recommendations for coding, testing, and debugging practices, strategies for, to prepare for, to respond to, and recover from incidents, and cultural best practices to help teams across your organization collaborate more effectively. And this is available now for you as a free download copy on the Google S3 website, uh, or you can buy a physical copy from your preferred uh, book retailer. The S3 book changed the entire industry, you know, created a position, or at least, you know, formalized a position that was previously being done in a lot of companies. And so... It is it is cool to see the amount of thought that goes into these things, that amount of change, and so using it as inspiration for how to run your business, even if you're not nowhere near the size of Google. So I look forward to reading this and, and seeing what some of the concepts are. Yeah, it does feel similar to um, another reInvent uh, launch, which is the Amazon Builders Library, but that hasn't got an update since reInvent. So I don't know. I think they've sort of left that behind. We'll see what happens with it. Yeah, I was, you think you think Amazon's kind of given up on the builder library already? Let's well, it's disappointing that there hasn't been any any updates since reInvent, like not a single one on any topic. <laughs> so yeah, that's yeah. true. I mean, I, I definitely would like to see something getting updated more regularly, and and I I think they worry about the need to be super geeky and intelligent, which are these initial articles all really super technical versus like, Hey, how do you just do basic things like sock at scale in the cloud? Like, I don't need you to get into the minute detail of the theory behind it, but I'd love to understand how you think about it and how you approach it. And we're good to see some additional stuff, but is it also interesting? I don't know if you guys saw Nicole Forsgren from the DevOps foundation does, uh, she basically has left Google now. Um, so that's kind of interesting. 
that she was kind of the big, uh, you know, brainchild behind the entire methodology of how they do uh, the survey, the DevOps survey, and all of that. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what that happens in that space over the next couple years too. Maybe, maybe Google doesn't have quite as much mind share in that area as uh, we thought they did. Mm. Yeah, I wonder how much of that was a brainchild of a single person or how much was influenced. But hopefully it carries on. Well, moving on to uh, Azure. Uh, the first Azure uh, item this week is Azure Virtual Networks now support reverse DNS lookup. Uh, I, I mean, hold your applause, everybody. <laughs> uh, of course, reverse DNS lookup for virtual machine by IP address uh, is now available by default for all new virtual networking, and you can enable this on an existing virtual network. Uh, you can use this to quickly look up the name of VM from its IP address. Imagine that. Uh, DNS queries look up the fully qualified domain name uh, are as simple as a command line away. I did have to look up when Amazon started doing this, and you could request this since 2010. Uh, and that's not to just look up its virtual machine DNS name. It's to configure it to any value, any value you want. Uh, so, you know, I think they're a little behind on this one, but... Hmm. <laughs> I, I, considering how many times I have nothing but an IP address, <laughs> I would be begging for it if I was on Azure. Uh, the next one is the virtual machine scale sets uh, now support automatic image upgrades for custom images. Uh, so if you're using a custom AMI to support your virtual machine scale set, uh, you can now automatically upgrade that with the latest OS patches uh, and allows you to scale your systems more effectively, safely, and securely. I know there's always some apprehension about enabling like automatic OS upgrades and patching and, and stuff like that. I'm I'm a giant fan of it. Like it's, I, I realize that there's a little danger of, of automatic updates that can you know influence prod but you know it's a little bit of chaos engineering and you know you need to be able to sort of design systems that are resilient to that kind of and then you know that kind of change and then you know the plus side is now they're automatically updated you don't have to have like these major change windows to roll out these changes across your fleet and so I, anything where you're automating these updates that you know you see these news articles of people uh, these you know security breaches where they haven't updated since 2008 or something. That's my theory. Not everyone agrees with me. The last story for Azure is many-to-many -many relationships in Azure Analytics Services are now generally available. Uh, many-to-many relationships uh, allow you to create relationships between tables with many uh, links where both columns are non-unique and are based on many-to-many -many relationships in Power BI. Uh, the model resulting from many-to-many -many relationships has a smaller number of tables with logic group columns improving the user's experience and helping to avoid having to normalize dimensional tables. Uh, all I know about many-to-many -many is that when you do them, it makes performance really, really bad. <laughs> so I am curious to see how this works out for people using Azure Analysis Services, uh, but I guess I'm glad it's supported for all those people who want it. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod foghorn the promise of cloud delivered all right let's move on to the lightning round with peter bueller 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 and for the second act due to unforeseen circumstances the part of peter will be played by myself 
get started. New Azure API Management Visual Studio Code extension now available. I've heard of infrastructure as code, but this is infrastructure in code. <laughs> nice. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's one way to manage an API, and that's with Visual Studio. Amazon Aurora with Postgres compatibility supports additional sizes for the db.r5 instance class. Finally. I couldn't believe you couldn't run an R5 instance for Postgres Aurora uh, when I was trying to launch one about three months ago. So, yay. I'm glad you're a year late on this one. <laughs> The Amplify framework announces new re-architected UI component and modular JavaScript libraries. And every JavaScript person out there cringes as they now have to go retest all of their code. Nice. There's nothing wrong with adding yet another framework to the mix, right? Amazon QuickSight dashboards are now denser with slick look and feel. I mean, you only feel denser when using QuickSight. <laughs> if I have nothing nice to say, I'm not going to say anything at all. And I really do not like that product. Well, the thing about it is the majority of that, you know, slick look and feel is actually Amazon applying their own font, Amazon Ember, to the dashboards. That's the majority of that post. It's like, oh, okay. That's hilarious. <laughs> Amazon Textract now reads checkboxes and other selection elements more accurately. You know what this did? It checked the box. <laughs> we may have a winner. Local launch constraints are now generally available in AWS Service Catalog. Because service catalog's not constraining enough. <laughs> Amazon EMR is now available in the AWS local zone in LA. Because everyone loves their EMR solution working in a single availability zone in LA. With all those fault lines. So it's not so elastic, MapReduce. Not so elastic, yeah. <laughs> and finally, Azure Analysis Services calculation groups are now generally available. Uh, the group that calculates Amazon spend, though, is, is pretty high. That just that group is very high. And the winner is Justin for checking the winning box. Though no points are going to be awarded this time. <laughs> well deserved. Yeah. I mean, technically, Jonathan's not here, so I don't get a point on it. But I appreciate the sentiment. Oh, is that is that the new rules? You don't get points if Jonathan can't. Yeah, and typically when we have guests, we we do the other format. But I didn't have time this week. Ryan, I guess since Jonathan's not here and you're the closest thing we have to another co-host, uh, you're going to run Cool Tools tonight. All right. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing, but I don't. From what I understand, it's it's not a whole lot. Our cool tool is uh, from our guest Ian, uh, which is the AWS Account Controller, and I've been following this um, at least on Twitter for a while, just because you're uh, you're the hope at the end of my tunnel for for some of the the struggles that I have <laughs> with managing accounts. Because uh, automating account management is one of the worst things in the world and is not always possible. And so your documentation on, on how, you, uh, how you built this tool the, has been very exciting to watch. So I've, I'm really excited to hear you talk about it. Yeah, awesome. Um, I've heard a lot of people talk about um, how this solves a lot of really bad uh, internal struggles that they have. Um, so for those who haven't seen it, the uh, account controller solution, um, which is uh, like a one-click CloudFormation template, uh, it is a SSO application, uh, which can create AWS accounts on demand with a uh, optional budget. Um, and then within a few minutes, they'll be accessible within SSO to that user um, or everyone in the organization. 
and on demand, you can then delete those accounts also, which is a big uh, challenge in these sort of times because of the uh, the requirements for deleting it. It's another one of those cases where it's, it's not something you can fully automate very simply just because of some of the hoops and the corner cases that you were into. And so you have to get very creative doing some of these things. And uh, it's it's interesting, some of the dancing that you had to do as you built this. And it, it is really great. The, the optional budget thing is, is really exciting as well, just because when creating these accounts for development, usually people control costs by time-based and this is nice to see it done with a, a money-based yeah absolutely i think uh the hoops you're referring to are really quite out there when we talk about um the the steps that amazon put in place purposefully to try and prove that you're a human and avoiding that um outright so those include solving a capture or um entering payment details or verifying yourself by a phone which i use um Amazon Connect to uh, automate in a really interesting way. Um, so the Amazon Connect IVR actually doesn't come with uh, DTMF tones, i.e. putting numbers in your keypad um, to do this in a way that I thought would be possible. What, what it turns out is I can manually upload WAV file DTMF prompts because it is just you know sound on a line and have Lambda dynamically pick out what... Um, what wave file to play based on what it sees on the screen, what the four numbers are on the screen. So that's a very uh, creative solution to the problem. Um, and it works. It works quite well. It's pretty low cost. Um, I think it's negligible cost. I think most of it falls into the free tier in terms of um, how much it would cost you to, to actually run this. But it does require a bit of setup. Um, you do need to have your accounts under a, a dedicated subdomain. You do need to have um, account under the capture solving tool. And I assume there's certain like services you have to use, like a, a, as far as like having organization set up and maybe uh, organizational units within that. Yeah, I, I haven't really put much um, requirements about organizational units, but you do need organi organization set up. And if you're going to use the SSO part, you need SSO set up. Um, but that's basically it. And then the other requirements is just accounts or a card to use and that sort of thing. What made you decide you wanted to uh, solve this particular problem? So a lot of the time, uh, my team and my consultancy are talking about, oh, can we just have access to an account which I want to mess around with? I would just want to play around with a feature. I want to develop a solution. And of course, they never clean this up, right? So I'm looking at a bill a month down the track and go, why didn't you turn off this X, like C4 X large? Like, oh, I've just forgot about it. Like, okay, that's great for my budget. Um, so this is a way to um, give them the ability to do this uh, self-service in a way and log in with their own uh, SSO uh, identity provider So because we use Google Suite uh, and let them um, do this on demand without, uh, without any interference from us and set budget limits on there. The budget limits are delayed. They're delayed by, uh, I think, six hours on uh, CloudWatch. So um, you might go over just slightly, but uh, it's usually not a problem for us. Yeah, I mean, six hours overage versus an entire month, I'd, I'd take that any day of the week. <laughs> so, uh, And generally, you're lucky uh, if it's only a month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's really awesome. I, I know when I saw this get posted last week, I was like, oh, my God, he solved this massive problem that we've had <laughs> for a while, uh, particularly around deleting accounts, which is just you know the most uh, frustrating thing ever because you know Amazon will... will you know, put you on the speed lane to get in, but they, they won't let you get out so quickly. <laughs> so, so nice to see some automation and some opportunities there as well as, you know, the ability to do 
canary accounts really is what I call this uh, at the end of the day in a, in a really systematic way that makes sense for a lot of really great workloads. So very nice job on this. I'm super pleased to see it and I will be using it and giving you issues and, and feedback. Absolutely. <laughs> so please. How's uh, how's good things going with former two and uh, console recorder these days since you're here? Oh, it's quite good. Amazon are in their planning phase at the moment. So I've had a bit of a reprieve when it comes to CloudFormation updates. <laughs> um, but the, the team's going very well. Uh, CloudFormation resource count is approaching Terraform's count at the moment. Um, so that will be an interesting moment in time where CloudFormation once again surpasses Terraform, which will be a very odd time when that used to be the argument against it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, see those metrics when that actually happens and if they can keep it up, right? Because they they definitely put a lot of pow- pressure on the CloudFormation team when you know people. I think there was an article or some people on Twitter or, or Reddit basically were really going to the CloudFormation team on task about how behind they were and what a train wreck it was. And you know Jeff Barr actually stepped in and and went and talked to that team and kind of wrote that public blog post about it. So, you know, since that's happened, we've seen CloudFormation either, you know, they got an extra couple two pizza box teams to help them catch up or or whatever. But, you know, they've been really moving very quickly. We've seen announcements with CloudFormation as part of the launch, which is great, which we weren't seeing before. Uh, but, yeah, are they going to keep it up? That's the big question. And, and can they keep it up? And so I'm hoping so, um, as I think CloudFormation should be the, you know, the primary way you can automate everything in Amazon. But then, you know, Terraform gives you that multi-cloud story, which is great. And so that's also valuable. But. Um, if you're really in the cloud formation ecosystem, it's great if it's covering everything, and that should be the default. Time will tell. Well, uh, I was hoping to maybe see you at uh, reInvent. Well, I was hoping to see you at reInvent because I was going to be on cruise boat, but I, <laughs> I don't know if that's <laughs> happening. Uh, but I also don't know if that reInvent's happening either. So either way, I probably won't be seeing you in November. I don't know, but uh, it's still too early to say. But uh, if we do, uh, you do end up being able to uh, leave Australia and come to the United States, which is an if. And if reInvent happens, which is an if, uh, we would love to see you in person uh, this year. Likewise. Uh, always a pleasure to have you on the show. You're always welcome, even when you're not just announcing a new feature <laughs> or new new tool. Uh, we always love having you join us. So, And uh, where would they like to follow you to get updates on Former2 and your Amazon account automator uh, on Twitter? Uh, yep, the account is IANN0036 on Twitter or GitHub. And uh, I had to ask, do you, do you follow Ryrana1? <laughs> Absolutely. Doesn't everyone? I, I think, I mean, he's, he's a highlight of my day when he doesn't tweet every day. <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually contemplating a Lambda function that just kind of posts a troll tweet every day that says Ryrana1 hasn't tweeted in X number of days just to troll him. <laughs> This is fantastic. The problem with Ryan, though, is that that will just encourage him not to tweet more. Yeah, yeah it, it's a kind of a double-edged sword. So I got to figure out how to troll Ryan, but in a way that will make him actually tweet, which I have not figured out yet. So one of these days, right. I will, I will tweet, I will tweet out, maybe. Uh, well, uh, you know, a couple other things. I, again, nothing's going on next week, or the week after that, or the week after that. So I can't really talk about what's coming up. But uh, if you did join all the talks today. Uh, there were some really fantastic talks uh, that were aired. I believe they'll all be on YouTube, and maybe uh, next week uh, we'll share some of the ones that I watched. I, I watched probably about 10 or 12 today, and there's some I want to catch up on video later. But uh, really fantastic stuff across the board on DevSecOps, uh, programming, security, um, all kinds of really fantastic talks today. Uh, with John Alspa and Susan Alspa both talked on different areas, which were really great. So um, definitely we'll be talking about those next week uh, as something to uh, share with you guys. I think it's really awesome. So, well, thanks again for joining us, guys. Thank cool. you for having us. Thanks for having us. Of course. Uh, and have another great week in cloud. See you next week. Hey, everyone. Jonathan here. 
I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash thecloudpod. www.fogops.io slash thecloudpod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. (laughs) 